there's a bias called the illusion of transparency that says that we assume people see what we need. We assume people know what we want. And I see this a lot in our workplaces. We assume people know we've got too much work. We assume that people know we're not working in the area that we enjoy the most. But our leaders are human too. They don't know. We've got to be clear and we've got to be intentional about asking for what we need. What's good? What's good, party people? Welcome to Candid Conversations. I am your host, Candia Johnson, a woman on a mission to help you show up and speak up anyway, despite dealing with fear, uncertainty, or self-doubt. Many times when we are unhappy at our jobs or in our careers, we start to seek advice from people we trust about, what should I do? Should I just quit? And I believe that there are two popular pieces of advice that people typically share with you. The first piece of advice is don't quit. You have a good job. You're making good money with good benefits. Where else are you going to be able to make this type of money? We're in a recession or we're headed to a recession. So just thug it out. You're going to struggle in the beginning, but you'll be okay in the end. And my thinking is you shouldn't have to wait to feel joy or happiness or wait to receive a reward for going through the struggle at a job, in a relationship, what have you. And then the second piece of advice is just quit. Life is too short. You can start your own business. Now listen, party people, another episode for another day, but entrepreneurship is far from sexy. However, at the same time, sometimes a reset is necessary and you can learn how to reset your mind and save your career without quitting or losing your job. And today's guest is Darcy Eichenberg. She's an executive coach who focuses on how to save your career without losing your job. And so we talk about the biggest mistake most professionals make when they hit a difficult time in their life at work. And we also talk about how to have a tough conversation because I've learned that sometimes we quit and change direction without having the difficult conversation to see or assess if the situation can be saved or not. Darcy Eichenberg has been an executive coach to leaders at organizations such as the Coca-Cola Company, Microsoft, State Farm, Deloitte Consulting, and more. Her ideas have been shared in the Harvard Business Review, Thrive Global, CNN.com, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and Forbes. She's the author of Bring Your Superpowers to Work, your guide to more clarity, confidence, and control. And she's also the author of the recently published book, Red Cape Rescue, Save Your Career Without Leaving Your Job. I am super excited for you to listen to this episode, share with your friends, and let me know what you think in the comments. Well, 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 party people. I'm super thrilled today to bring you a special guest, Miss Darcy Eichenberg. Hello, hello, hello to you. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Well, I am super thrilled that you have decided to spend some time with us. So listen, y'all, before we started to officially record the podcast, I told Darcy that as I was reviewing her background, I realized that she has been an executive coach to uh, leaders at a former employer that I used to work with. And she's so actionable and insightful when it comes to career growth and professional growth and navigating change and the difficulties that we may face both personally and professionally as we're climbing that ladder of success. I said, Darcy, where were you? 
eight years ago. <laughs> I wish I had been there for you, but we're here together now. So we're going to have a good time and be able to help some people who are out there. Good, good, good. So one of the things that I was curious about when it comes to your background is now that you are at this place, you are a speaker, you've been featured in so many different media outlets, and you're also a coach behind leaders at top companies such as Deloitte, Coca-Cola. What I'm always curious about the connect the dot moments for you. What are parts of your journey or parts of the things that you had to unlearn to step into who you are as a leader today? There's probably a ton of things I had to unlearn, but so, you know, as as similar to you, my professional background in corporate was really in a professional services firm. I grew up from being the person who would tag along with leaders to a person who was leading leaders. And it was such a great experience, but I came to a point where what's next for me wasn't clear. And so I had to unlearn that the path wasn't always going to be put in front of me. I had to unlearn that I thought there was a structure. I thought there was a ladder, but the truth is it's all made up and we have to make things up based on what we want and not just what's out there, what our company is saying, but what are the things that we can control? And so I had to also unlearn that I could control everything. And really that's what my latest book is about, about things that you you actually have more control over your career than you've ever imagined. Mm. Now, or what inspired you specifically to, I love the name of your company, by the way, before I get into that, <laughs> Red Cape Revolution. What's the meaning behind your company name? Yeah, Red Cape Revolution came from remembering when you were a kid and you grab a towel or a sheet, and you throw it around your shoulders and you felt confident, you felt in control. And what if you could feel that way every day in your life at work? What would change then for your career, for your future, but also what could change for our workplaces, what could change for our communities and even our world? So Red Cape Revolution and the work we do at redcaperevolution.com really came out of How do we create that life at work that also works for people's lives? And as the years have gone on, we've continued to evolve that and use that red cape as a symbol of when you are feeling like you can soar in your work in your life. I love that. Speaking of the work that that you do at your company, what is the work that you believe you're most proud of, particularly over the last two to three years? Because there's been so many changes in how we work and how we approach our work. What are you most proud of? Well, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of the progress and decisions that my clients and the companies that they work for have made that aren't always the obvious and easy ones. People come to a, someone like me, people find me when they've got a decision to make, when they're at a crossroads. And often we think that there's only one choice, like, oh, something's going wrong here, or it's not working for my life, or I'm just not happy. And we think that my only choice is to leave. And I'm really proud of the stories where when we've really worked through the possibilities and gotten clear about 
what that person wants, what was right for them, and how they could see different possibilities in even right where they are without suffering, without sacrifice, without settling. I think that's an important part, right? Of how do you get more of what you want and what's right for you, however, whatever that is, however you define success, because we all define it differently. And so the stories where I've been able to support somebody and guide somebody in the past couple of years on that and how that's also magnified in their company by their teams and the work that they're doing in the world, I think those are the places where I feel proud. And it's you know partly uh, the reason why I dove into create the new book because I really wanted more of those ideas and techniques to be in people's hands so that they knew they didn't, their only option wasn't just to throw away everything they've done and go somewhere else, which you know we're seeing right now in the marketplace. A lot of people who made moves are now looking to move again because they're still not happy. It's still not working. But we've got to help people know how they can take back control and do the work so that they know they're making the right decisions for them. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things that you touched on that was so profound. One being, I'm glad you said uh, helping people realize that they can do it without suffering. Because even for me, I felt like in the very beginning of my career, or maybe even for the first 10 years, that there was a certain amount of suffering or struggle that I had to embrace to get to that next level of success. So that was a huge unlearning moment for me. And I'm also curious about, I'm glad that you mentioned we're in a crossroads because I'm sure you've heard the term, the great resignation. And right before our call, I was lovingly stalking people on LinkedIn (laughs) and I came across, you got to put that word lovingly there. Lovingly stalking people, yeah. Yes, lovingly stalking people. But someone shared an interesting study that came out that they surveyed about 5,000 American workers and 40% of the people who decided to leave their job last year are now looking to leave the new job that they left the old job for. Yeah. I've been talking for about, I don't know, six to nine months about the tipping point when the great resignation becomes the great regret. And again, the joy of the job that I have, this weird job where I get to talk to lots of people all over the world in lots of different situations, that I get to hear the themes and I get to see what's coming up and I get to watch some of those trends. There were lots of people, both who came through, um, I'm reading my blogs and my regular emails who might respond of, of it. Yeah, I'm, get, I'm just gonna leave. Or they were just making those decisions without doing the due diligence or without really recognizing what am I leaving? And what am I saying yes to? I always say you have to run towards something as opposed to running away from something. And there is some really interesting brain science. The brain can only process and make sense of so much at once. And so running, again, even intentionally, like there's more money or it sounds better, is just easier. It's easier to say, let me go to the new thing. And I've actually had several people who say, yeah, this is actually something happens in my relationships where once it gets hard, I'm looking for the next one. And what's the pattern that's in common? The pattern is us. So recognizing to get that clarity 
to build that confidence. And as I say, take back control of understand what you do control, I think is so important if you found yourself in that cycle, if you found yourself like, yeah, this wasn't it. I thought this was the magic wand, but this wasn't it. Right. Especially over the last two, three years, you were probably thrown into your personal chaos with trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what's normal now. And then the world throws your career into chaos. And so I'm assuming you're saying the biggest mistake that we make is we just jump to, we make the decision to just leave. What are some things that we should be doing before we say, peace out, quit, I'm done? Yeah. Yeah. And so first to say it, there are certainly situations that are toxic, that are inappropriate, that are even borderline illegal. And there's absolutely no way that I would advocate anybody even spending any other time, energy, minute of their life in a situation that is unethical, unlegal. The majority of people who are in this, eh, something's just not right place. It, it, I, I think the first thing that we always have to do when the emotions trigger us of worry, wonder, waiting, or something's not quite right, we've got to get clear on what exactly is that. Because it's very easy to listen to all the noise of, oh, work is bad, corporations are bad, the uh, virus is going to kill you, don't do this, don't do that. And back to the brain science, our brains are built to keep us safe. And so when we're brains are taking in all this stimulus about what could happen, it's very hard to filter out and get clear about well, what is happening, what's true for me, where am I worrying and spending time and energy and stress on things that I have no control over at this point? You know, What do I want and how can I take control over it? And it's almost like coming back to the center of the flywheel, you know, how the flywheel, you know, like on the edges is where all the action is, but in that center, in that place of what do I know for sure? And uh, there's certainly connection here to being present and mindfulness, but in a career space, it also is very much of what is it that I want at this point in my career? I think a lot of the chaos helped a lot of people start to get clear about that. And a lot of people did make good, important, long-term moves for themselves. But I think there are some people that just ran from something instead of intentionally saying, what do I want first? And then when you're clear about that and you you put behind all the stories about why I shouldn't want it or why I couldn't have it or work, you know, well, work shouldn't be easy. I should have to suffer at work. Kind of like you were saying, the beliefs that we have. Once we get clear about what do I want right now, then we can look closer at what's possible and have better conversations right where we are, just as we are to get that. And that might include being more specific about asking for what you need. I've had the benefit of talking to a lot of leaders who have also lost people. And in some situation when the person has already made their decision, they're going somewhere else and they say, well, it's because the workload was too hard. And leaders like, that's something we could have worked on. We could have done something about. We have a, there's a bias called the illusion of transparency that says that we assume people see what we need. We assume people know what we want. And I see this a lot in our workplaces. We assume people know we've got too much work. We assume that people know we're not working in the area that we enjoy the most. 
but our leaders are human too. They don't know. We've got to be clear and we've got to be intentional about asking for what we need. Mm. So a couple of things that I want to touch on. I felt like this was like mic drop moments and tambourine moments of the things you just said. But the first thing that was very true, and it remains to be true even for me, is I came across this quote the other day and it says something, I'm going to need to paraphrase it, but the noise of the world often drowns out your own voice. Mm-hmm. And it's so very true. Like you said, you hear constantly employers are bad, bad managers, and, third, and it drowns out your own voice. And it's hard for you to gain clarity on what is it that you really want. And I have to say for me, even when I think back to, gosh, it's been probably like seven, eight years now, when I left my last employer, I wasn't really clear on what I wanted. I was clear on what I didn't want, but I wasn't really clear on what I uh, wanted my life to look like. And so the curve that I probably went through was probably was, I wouldn't say it was unnecessary because it's necessary and I'm here and I don't have any regrets, but I can say that it was very, very noisy <laughs> in my life at that point. Yeah, and so I know, I know that you teach people that we can only control three things, especially when we are going through difficult or challenging times. What are those three things that we can only control? Yeah, this comes as a huge surprise to so many people. And as you asked earlier, like this was something I had to unlearn because I'm a strong woman. I'm smart. Of course, I can control a lot of things. But no, we actually only control what we think, what we say, and what we do. And that's it. But in the end, it's enough. When we release ourselves from stress and worry about all the things we can't control, including people maybe in our families or people that we think we have some influence over, but we can't control them. We can't get inside someone else's head and re, you know, repurpose the thoughts. All we can control is our choice. So if we're dragged down and we're listening to the news all the time and, and we're like, oh my gosh, the world is just going to, you know, heck in a handbasket. And uh, how, why would I, why even try? Why even get up in the morning? I can actually actively choose a different thought. It takes time to retrain your brain, but I can choose a thought to say today, look at the sun shining in my window. I'm sitting here right here now. My family's across from the table. I have that choice about how I control things. And it's really surprising how much choosing a better thought can help how you feel because our thoughts connect to our emotions, which connect to our actions. We can also choose what we say or what we don't say. I mean, if we're trapped in this, the Eeyore mindset, oh, everything's hard, work stinks, and everybody's, you know, out just for themselves. Maybe we can change what we say. And there's actually some worksheets in my new book that give you some alternate thoughts and alternate things to say. Or like we're talking about before, asking for what you need, being able to say things differently or say more things and being able to control what you do. You can turn off the TV, the, you can decide not to listen to the news. I actually, a few years ago, got rid of TV altogether in my house. I don't have a TV in my house. And I know that's weird, but it's been a brain saver for me. And I really haven't 
missed anything. I seek out news intentionally as opposed to just kind of having it, you know, constant flood of everybody else's control. Um, I control kind of what I take in. I mean, I love that you've done that because we also have to understand it's, it goes back to what you, what you said, we can control what we think. And we have to understand that a constant stream of news on top of the other noise that you have coming in from social media or what have you, it shapes our thoughts and then it shapes our actions. And then we may say something that we regret, right? With it, during that conversation that you need to have, to your point, to ask for what you want. And so I know in your book and I've read some of the most insightful and actionable articles on your website. So y'all need to go to the site. Don't worry, I got you. I'm gonna put it in the show notes. I wanna talk about what it takes to have that tough conversation because I can imagine that now more than ever, it's so very important that we watch our words. So how can we start a tough conversation, particularly at work, without shooting ourselves in the foot or doing a walk of shame because we don't say something that we shouldn't have said. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the first place is, like we were talking about before, to be very clear about what it is that you want. And once you're clear about what you want, um, then I think it's also a mindset, and this is actually a chapter in the book, to assume positive intent. Because if what you want is maybe also be something that aligns with what's good for the company. Ultimately today, if you're doing a good job, the company wants you to stay. They, the company, companies aren't these, these unemotional entities. Companies are people. Companies are us. So you're talking to a human being. Uh, and there's probably some incentive for that person to want you to stay. And so assuming positive intent can really help where we don't go in all fists up, like we got we to gotta fight, as opposed to kind of almost going in arms open. Because you can't control how they're going to react, what they're going to do, what they're going to think or say, all you can control is your part of the conversation. So I think also knowing what you want, assuming positive intent, and then also making the ask. And you might not put somebody on the spot to be able to say, you know, to have an answer right then, but to say, I don't need any input from you right now, but I just wanted to share this observation that's coming up or this need that I have, I'd love you, love for you to think about it and let's connect on it later. Because what a lot of times I see happen is that people, first of all, they, they go into a tough conversation on surprise. It's like, knock, knock, knock. Do you have a, do you have a second? And then they, you know, all this stuff that the receiving person, I don't care if this is in your personal life or this is at work, give me what I want. That's so very true. I conduct several workshops a month, different companies, particularly for manager and above. And I'm always surprised at the number of people who are having a challenge with an employee or with another leader. And I ask them the background, the T on what's happening. And I said, well, have you had a conversation? What did they say? And they say, no. Isn't that amazing? I, I used to it's, coach- it's like, you know, they build yeah. up this whole story. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to your, your point right before we delved into this topic 
controlling your thoughts because they've built a whole story around how this person is going to respond as if it is a fact, Mm -hmm. but the conversation hasn't even happened. (laughs) The person doesn't even know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I learned this lesson several years ago. I, uh, was hired to coach. There was some high potential groups at a very large tech company. And these were very experienced, well-paid, well-educated people. And the same thing came around, you know, in coaching, we always try to get to what's the action, like what's so what's the next action. And I started hearing this theme where the action was always, yeah, I need to talk to my manager or I need to talk to the project manager. I need to talk to my teammate. And I worry that we've gotten so immersed in our digital communication that we've forgotten about the power of actual conversation and when it's appropriate. And and I actually coach a group where uh, they're actually trying to work more on this. Like how do we have better conversations with managers and, you know, associates to be able to develop careers? How do we actually do more co-creation? Because when we're not talking, if we're just texting or emailing, the digital communication leaves a ton of things up for grabs, even screen to screen, screen, screen out emotion. They screen out perspective. It it changes how we talk with each other. And if there's multiple people involved, it certainly changes how we talk with each other. I think we've got to recognize when it's actually a conversation that is the next place that's going to move something forward and not be afraid of having those. They are not a wasted time. They're actually an investment in each other. Right. Oh, I love, you said screens, screen out perspectives and emotions. That's so very true. I always tell people, I think it's, it's harder. I know everyone likes to just jump on zoom, but especially for group settings, it's actually harder to communicate in those settings as well. So uh, the next two questions, I really want to focus on the book. Okay. And so your book is called Red Cape Rescue. Save your career without leaving your career. What are some signs that I need to be rescued? I have a few thoughts of my own, but you're the expert here. So I want to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so certainly, uh, you know, the, the, being rescued, the, the, the point of the book is that you can rescue yourself. Like when, you know, you're feeling out of control, you're feeling like your life at work isn't working for your life. Uh, we, we wanted Red Cape Rescue and the subtitle, Save Your Career Without Leaving Your Job, to recognize that you're in control. There's so many things that you can do. And it's what we broke it down into those three things that you can control, you know, the, the different ways to change how you think, including conquering the battle of the brain. You mentioned all the noise from the outside, but we were also built in with this function that we're born with of how we talk to ourselves on the inside, right? We talk to ourselves worse than we would ever talk to anybody in our, in our life, in our world. How do we check that? How do we correct that? And being able to think of different ways that we can say, take control of what we say, or in some senses, what we choose not to say and taking control of what we do. And also one of the most popular chapters in the book is called drop some balls. So what are we not doing? Let's talk about the drop some balls chapter. Okay. Uh-huh. So, okay. So how 
can we drop anything at work or at home when it all seems so important? When we're reacting to everything, of course, right? So it's like we're just like a bunch of fire starters and then right. we react. Right. The analogy that I use in the book is, is that, yeah, let's say you were just playing catch and you and I are just tossing a ball back and forth and we're having a good time. And then, you know, someone else stops by and they throw a ball in, someone else stops by. Then the thing that you are doing, the thing that was important is all diluted and you end up, you know, trying to keep track of them all, pick them all up. But not every ball is important. Not every, the word priority is actually from prior, which means one. We don't think that's possible a lot of times in our workplaces. And we also think it's not good career management to learn how to say no or learn how to recalibrate things that fit us. But once you're clear about who you are and what you want, and I call that what's your superpower space, like where are, is the place where you know you are at your best and highest use? That is what your company is paying you for. And I'll often do an exercise with my clients where we will do the math. Like if you're making a certain amount of money, like what is an hourly rate? Like let's just make it up. And is the work you're doing appropriate to that rate? So for example, if you're a hiring executive and your, your time is better spent with relationships or managing a team, and you're executing your own PowerPoint presentations or spending time in meetings that don't need you, and those are draining you, not feeding you, it's time to drop those balls. And one of the things I go through in the book is that there may be, there's actually three different ways that you can drop balls. And one of the surprising ways is that there's probably about 15 to 20% of things that you are doing on a regular basis that you could drop right now and nobody would know. And I challenge your listeners to really look hard at their list. And maybe it's not the whole thing, but maybe it's how they're doing it. You know, maybe they're creating a huge PowerPoint for a meeting when they could have a one pager or maybe they're doing a report that was the right thing to do two or three years ago, but now there's a system that replaces all that data that people could just go to for that data. There's a lot of this stray work that's in our environment and we're not always looking closely. We're just thinking, well, I have to do it. Women especially get into the, well, I have to, if I don't buy the birthday card for the team, no one's going to do it. Well, if that's not fun for you, if that's not something that you're already doing anyway, you know, we, we take all these, oh, it's just a little, oh, it's just small, or that won't take long. But all those things add up, they cause stress. They also devalue us in many ways. When we are spending too much time in spaces that aren't in our superpower space, that can make, that, that can totally devalue us and have people view us not with the high value to the company that we want. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to learn how to say no. It's okay to start dropping some balls. And there are ways to do that strategically and ways to experiment with it. Drop something that you really hate doing. See if anybody notices. So listen, this is an audio podcast, but Darcy and I are on video, okay? And I'm taking notes, y'all. And I just wrote a note to myself, Candia, which ball can I drop? <laughs> Right, because yeah. in full transparency, 
right before our call, I was making this long laundry list of priorities that I have. I have a delegate list to the system that I have. But most importantly, I was feeling a little overwhelmed. This is taking longer than I anticipated, all the things. And then I just hear these wonderful words today, which ball can you drop? And it's so very true. And will anyone notice? And does this really, really matter? Or am I making it right. matter? And especially, you know, high-performing, caring people like yourself, we always can come up with more good ideas, right? Uh, there's always a way to make every little thing better. But what's the proportion of that helping move us forward? And what's the cost to us? And I think increasingly, we've got to really look hard, especially if you're somebody who says, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, and that's making you want to seek change. It's like, so how can I right-size that first? And in a lot of cases, it might be, you have to learn how to put boundaries up. You have to teach people how to treat you or reteach people how to treat you. Because that may be that, you know, hey, guys, I've just put something new in place for myself and my family that I'm not checking texts after 8 p.m. or before 8 a.m. I really appreciate it if you respect that. And then don't do it, you know, right? Put the, I mean, put your phone in a drawer or do something. But I see a lot of people slipping because it's this mindset of, oh, it's just one thing or it's just a little one. And then you're on your email all night and you teach people how to treat you. So if you need, to work and live differently, it has to start with what choices you're making for yourself and you get to control that. Oh, what I love most about our conversation today is it puts the ball in your court. Sometimes it's not them, it's you, party people. (laughs) You get to choose the thought, you get to choose the behavior and you can, even as I'm listening to you and several of the nuggets and chunks of advice and actionable tips that you've given us today, I could reflect on how it applies to what I'm doing now in my career. But also when I think back to my time as a consultant and traveling all around the world, did I have that conversation about my travel schedule and about some of the things, some of the conversations I've had, I did have. But I have to say when it comes to dropping Uh, the balls and choosing to not pick some back up, Mm, that piece could have also been a game changer for me. So my last question for you is when you think about the book, what's the one thing that you want readers, a reader to know, feel, or do after they read your book? I think after they read Red Cape Rescue or even all through it to really apply, and there are exercises at the end of every chapter, to really apply the lesson to your real life situation. Where is the opportunity for me to take control of my thought? Where is the opportunity for me to take control of what I say or the opportunity to take control of what I do or what I don't do? And to recognize that it is possible and that taking back control isn't more burden on you, but it's actually incredibly freeing. And 
being able to make those choices for you as opposed to letting everybody else make those choices. I think if someone's into the book and feels just an incremental amount better about their life at work and the possibilities that are there, even if they actively decide that at some point it is their time to move on, then that's, you know, that is a lot of power. If we have more people feeling like they're in control of their work, that they're doing things on purpose, uh, as opposed to letting the swirl of the world take them, then I think that's gonna help our communities be healthier our, and our world be stronger, healthier, and better than ever. Mm. I, I, I love your wrap up because I do believe that ultimately, even if you make the decision that it is time for you to leave, the insights and actionable advice that you've shared with us today, those should be things that we should do even at a job that you are in love with, <laughs> right? You or, should. or even as an entrepreneur or someone self-employed. I mean, the mindsets are mindsets that work no matter what you're doing, because again, you only have the one you in your life. Right. Well, I want to thank you, Darcy, for spending time with us today. Where can the people follow and connect with you online? Or even if you have the, some in-person events, please share with us. Yeah. The, the best way to get the inside scoop on everything I'm doing before anybody else does is my Red Cape Insider list. And so it's redcapeinsider.com. And I do a weekly little uh, love note with a tip or a strategy. And that's also where I share where I'm going to be, where I'm going to be speaking. So redcapeinsider.com. And then of course, there's tons of things that redcaperevolution.com on the blog. And th there's more about the book at redcaperescue.com. So listen, y'all know what to do. If this episode has touched your heart in any way, share it with your people so they can share it with their people. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.